So uh, we're, we're actually, I'm not sure how many more lessons we've got on our current series. Uh, typically they last about a year. And I don't remember when we started, but we've been studying uh, prayers in the New Testament. And uh, most of these prayer, uh, well, I, yeah, most of these prayers that we've been looking at were prayers in the writings of the Apostle Paul, where he's praying something for the church. And uh, we're, uh, our course title here, What We Really Need, is kind of the, the, the basic idea is if Paul in in inspired scripture is uh, telling us how he prays for us, that's probably something we really need. And then there's a corollary to that. Uh, that's something we really need. And that's something we pray for. Uh, we have a very strong tendency to provide for ourselves. And uh, even some of these things, we think, well, maybe I could, if I need it, I could just go get it. Um, and uh, when, when we're studying these prayers, I think one of the things we might, the other lesson we might draw here is that's not just something I need, it's something God provides because it's something we're asking God to give us, not, uh, and in these cases, in the writings of Paul, it's not, it's not Paul saying you, you should, it's Paul saying, may God do this. Um, and <clears throat> now for the last couple of lessons or three, we've been looking at the what's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. And uh, here again, uh, we're going to apply this idea. But uh, so far, we've looked at three different requests, three different things Jesus has asked God for. Two of the, the first two of these are, are him asking God something for himself. So he says in the first uh, three verses of John 17, glorify your son. Um, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. And as we learned in that lesson, this is about the cross and the idea of the the hour has come. The hour of Christ in the book of John is the, uh, is the cross. And the glorification of Christ in the book of John is nearly always uh, about his being exalted on the cross. Um, and so he says, glorify your son that the son may glorify you, that he may give eternal life. Uh, <clears throat> so glorify the son that the son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. 
So this is about the atonement. This is uh, about the work of the cross. He goes on. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you've given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So this is a, we might think he's asking for the same thing twice, but I think he, when he says glorify me together with yourself, with the glory I had with you before creation, he's talking about his return to the Father, which is uh, in the context of this uh, upper room discourse sermon, he's been talking, that's like the subject of the sermon, uh, that he is now going to return to the Father. And the path of his return to the Father is through the cross, resurrection, and ascension. And so this is about his ascension and coronation, which implies the resurrection uh, in the process. So <clears throat> then he starts praying for us, keep them. Uh, so verse six, the, I've manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they've come to know that everything you've given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I've given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came from you. And they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, I don't ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you've given me, for they are yours. And all things are mine, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. The name which you've given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name which you've given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil. And you might remember we talked about the evil could mean the evil of the world, or it could mean the evil ruler of the world, as in Satan. So translation, this translation says, from the evil one. Uh, <clears throat> they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So the prayer request is that he would keep us, and keeping us is to watch over, to protect, to provide, to shepherd. And uh, in particular, this is that they may be one, and that that results in they may have my joy made full in themselves. This is also a theme in the book of John, uh, that <clears throat> Jesus' work is a sharing of his joy. And so he, uh, 
asks the father to keep them. He says, I've been keeping them, but I'm leaving. So now you keep them. I think we should read into this uh, the implication of the coming of the Holy Spirit, which he's talked about in this sermon, where he says, you know, don't worry, I'm leaving, because they're all objecting to him telling them that he's leaving. He says, don't worry, when I go, the Spirit will come. And so the instrument of our keeping is now the work of the Holy Spirit. All that's just to get us to where we are today, which is the fourth request, which is in verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Now, you should be noticing now that he said something like that. He's repeated that. And that actually is going to become the climax of this whole prayer. What it's all aimed at is union in Christ, that they may be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So we're not talking about any ordinary level of oneness. Uh, We talk about a husband and a wife being one. That's, That's a similar sort of oneness, but we have not experienced this level of oneness that might dis- might describe the unity of the triune God. That's, that's a whole nother step up, but that's where this is headed, and this won't be the last time he talks about this in this prayer, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. So the culmination of this prayer for sanctification is unity. It's an odd kind of unity. It's not the Eastern mystical kind of unity in which unity erases individuality. It's a oneness of persons. It's a plural unity, which is uh, Diverse and one at the same time, like the unity of the three persons of the Trinity. Well, I got distracted by that. So let's talk about sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Now, he already said keep them. And when he said keep them, he was he's, he had to say something like, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them. And to keep is some sort of reserve, some sort of, well, we could use the word sanctification, some setting apart. He's praying, he's keeping them and not them. He's keeping this group, but not that group. 
and he specifies that. Um, so he's not praying for the world, he's praying for those who have trusted him out of the world. So there's already the basic idea of sanctification in the idea of keeping. Like a shepherd keeps his sheep. Well, <clears throat> so he says sanctify them. Well, we just got to define what sanctify is. It means to set apart. It means to separate out of something. And in the, in, if we're talking about uh, our relation to God, it's, it's making something holy. In fact, the word here is just the verb of the word holy. It's to set something apart, to put it in its own category or in a special category. Or if we talk, if we studied this term in reference to say the Old Testament temple, things are consecrated for temple use. And so they have, they, they can't be used for anything else. They're only for that. So if I think about what holiness is or what sanctification is, I think it, it is about God's staking his claim on his people. And it's about him separating us for him and only for him. So that we are his, we belong to him, and we are for his use and his holy use. In other words, others are not allowed to use us for other things. And even we might want to think about how we are separated unto God, set apart for his purpose and use. That there's a consecration and a purpose and a exclusivity to what God has done if he answers this prayer. Sanctify them. Set them apart. In contrast to setting apart for the world. Yeah, yeah. The world is the, the other option. Correct. So these are, and this is where the term saint comes from. So when the New Testament refers to Christians as saints, and it refers to all Christians as saints, well, that word is simply, it's the name of this same word. It, it means one who is set apart. So if we are to be called saints, and according to the New Testament, we are to be called saints, that means we are the people for whom God has answered this prayer, that he has set us apart. Well, I think it's also interesting to think, well, where did he set us apart to? And that's in this little phrase, sanctify them in the truth. In the truth. And then he says what he means by that. Your word is truth. Now, there's a very strong tendency among modern evangelical types when we see the expression, your word, in Scripture, to think it refers to the Scripture, particularly. Well, I don't think in the context of the book of John, we should limit it to that. And 
I think we might have some warrant for including the scripture, but the word of God in the book of John is Christ, is the eternal son made flesh, is, well, is the eternal son, who now we know because he's been made flesh. So uh, in this instance, if we, I've given you a big long list of references here. These are all references to the word of God or the truth in the book of John. So if you go back to the very first five verses of the book of John, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. Well, what's the word of God here? Is it the written scripture? No, it's the person of Jesus. Uh, well, in fact, it's not even yet at that moment in the writing, it's not even yet the person of Jesus. It's the eternal son of God. And then the word became flesh. That's in verse 14, which is on your list here. Chapter one, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten Son of God. So the, the eternal Son of God is the Word of God, and it has been communicated to us in Him, not just in what He says or what has been written, but in Him. And so He is the personification of the Word. So. Uh, now, you could go on through this long, it's a long list and we can't take time to read all this. Uh, in chapter eight, he says, uh, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. You'll know the truth and the truth was, was we got word and truth together. Well, how would you abide in his word? And, you know, there's a curious thing here in that expression, his word because the way we've translated this isn't the only way you could have translated it. His word is literally in the, in the Greek text of the, of the New Testament, his word is literally word of him. Now, his word is a perfectly legitimate translation of that, but we could have translated it word of him. And if we did in English, we would understand something slightly different. It's the word of him. Uh, so couldn't you actually in Greek translate the word, instead of use the word word as the expression of? Sure, yeah, and it's the word logos, so yeah. To me, that's more helpful because when we say word, we were thinking of something, but the expression, like Jesus is the full expression of it's right. More than just it's True. Yes. Although I'm, and that's that's when the word was made flesh. That's exactly what we're talking about. And we're not talking about words as right. in verbiage. Uh, we're talking about the the expressive communication of a person. Okay. So, uh, yeah, the logos. In the in the, the now the point I'm making in in with reference to chapter eight, his word, or if you if you abide in my word, it's the word of me. And even in that expression, he's not t 
talking about just what he says. He's talking about the word of him, like, did you get the word? And again, it's a logos, it's a, uh, an, a full communication of a person. So the, the, the other thing we're getting at here is, again, you, in the book of John, you can't get away from the usage of the word logos as a personal reference to Christ and not just the written scripture. So now in uh, chapter two, this is what I have on your list. This is, this is really kind of a supplementary point here. I'm just, I'm just trying to get all of us to notice when the scripture uses the word logos, the New Testament uses the word logos, and it's translated into the English language using the word word, we have a very, a, a sort of immediate connection to the Bible in that expression. But that's too simple. Can I add something? Yeah. Uh, it is not just when the word is used in the Bible, but particularly in the Gospel of John. John yeah. is written to well, Christ. And in the Greek culture, they were looking for uh, the Logos, which the New Agers nowadays call the universe or the universal life principle. And John is, I think, trying to communicate, okay, guys, you have been looking for this universal principle for this controlling thing in the cosmos. The, the one that all is, that everything is made through. And I have news for you. His name is Jesus, and he became flesh. Yeah. And if you, if you so, also look at, for instance, geology and theology, and it is the controlling principle of, of theos. Now, I, was, I have another thought, Doug. Mm -hmm. I, I hope I may ask that. If I refer to John 15, mm -hmm. it says, if, my, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, mm -hmm. then you can ask whatever you want, and it will happen to you. Mm -hmm. I haven't looked it up, so it just came to me. My words abide in you. Yeah, is that the same? That's word? not logos. That's not no. logos. It's rhema, probably. It's rhema, yeah. Okay. Now, if I remember correctly, I've, yeah. but that's what I remember, yeah. And, and that fits in with what you say, because mm -hmm. if you remain in God, then you're going to pray for the stuff that God wants, and they exactly. get it. So his, his instructions, let's say, words, the, the, the words, words, the yeah. verbiage, uh, are abide, they, they are alive in me because I'm abiding in him. I, if I'm not abiding in him, that can't happen. Yeah. You'll notice that John 15, the first part of John 15, is on this list for this very reason. And so the, yeah, I was going to refer to chapter 2 where he said, so this was uh, after he did the uh, miracle of the uh, water turned to wine at the wedding, right? So then after that, he uh, <laughs> he's in the temple and he says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And the Jews said, it took 46 years. How are you going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body, John says. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. 
When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. Uh, sorry, I read past where I wanted to stop there. Uh, so there's, there's not, uh, in the concept of the word, the logos, there's not an exclusion of scripture, but there's the identification of the personal word, which is Christ, who is the subject of scripture, which is also most clearly taught in the book of John, where John says, look, if you believe Moses, you believe me, because Moses wrote about me, which everyone reacted to like that. They all went, what? Moses, what? When did he write about it? So Jesus himself connects. Jesus is the connector of all of the word of God. And he is the embodiment of the word of God. The scripture is the word of God in, in a strict formal sense. But he... It's a subset. Correct. So I'm, all of this, and we've spent too much time on this, but the, all of this is just so you might develop the habit of noticing when you see the expression, the word of God in the Bible, and especially in the book of John, you will say to yourself, that's not just talking about the written scripture. It may not be talking about it at all, except that the scripture is about Christ. And so. it can be, because scripture was put together in the fourth century, and John was written when? A hundred after Christ or something? Well, we didn't collect all the scripture and identify it as such at that point. So I, I would say this when you're reading, say, Second uh, Timothy, which is in large measure about the scripture, but when you see Paul writing to Timothy about the word, or with Paul writing about the word to anybody, really, it's a it's a bigger thing than the Bible. All right, sorry, we spent too long on that, but well, this is the location of our sanctification. What Paul, what Jesus is asking for is, here is to set them apart in the Word, which means in union with Him, and so we're in Him, distinguished from others and made holy in our union with Christ. And that's what he's asking for here. It's funny that he needs to ask for that. Well, he, uh, he has a purpose. So let's imagine then that the father answers this prayer, which I believe he has. And then uh, so now his disciples are sanctified in the truth, in the word of God, in Christ. What for? Well, fortunately, he says, what for? As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. That's what for. To be sent in the world as the Father has sent the Son. You know, there's a really interesting verse in chapter 10 of the book of John. And we should remember that this prayer in chapter 17 is something like the literary summary of the book of John. In other words, 
Jesus in this prayer revisits pretty much everything John's been teaching through the whole process. So uh, anyway, he says in chapter 10, verse 36, I'm, I'm starting in the middle of a sentence, uh, bugs me every time, but here's what it says. Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God. If I don't do the works of my Father, don't believe me. If I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand what that the Father is in me and I in the Father. So this idea of unity, union is just, well, it's on every page of the book of John. But the, uh, he, says, he says something about what has happened in the life of the eternal Son of God. God the Father sanctified and sent him into the world. So what Jesus is asking for, sanctify them, I'm sending them, is just exactly what he himself experienced. Uh, So this idea of set apart to, what's the special purpose, the holy use of those who are set apart in response to this prayer? Sent into the world which he already said, didn't he, when he was talking about the Father keeping us. He says, keep them. Don't take them out of the world, but keep them, in a certain sense, safe from the world. Keep them, and now he's kind of piling on to this, keep them set apart to you in this hostile environment. Keep them holy. Keep them sanctified for this purpose, as the Father sent the Son. Now I've given you, I, I guess, I'm trying to watch the clock here so I don't, we don't go too long, but I've given you a big list and references in the book of John to the service of the Son as sent. Now, in the book of John, the idea that the Son is sent is maybe the big idea of the book of John. What we believe in when we believe in Jesus is that he's sent. He's the sent one. Believe in the one who sent me. (laughs) He, he, He refers to himself constantly as the one who the Father sent. And so here we're in our union with him also sent. So he sent, and, and this list is really, I, got, I came up with this list just by looking up the word sent in the book of John, okay? So that's how easy it was. So the, in chapter 3, he sent not to judge, but to save. How can he be sent not to judge? He is the judge. He says it in the book of John. Well, he's not sent to judge because everyone's already judged, So he's sent to save those the Father gives him out of that judgment. Okay, and later on in chapter 3, he's sent to speak the words of God with reference to eternal life. 
eternal life. This is eternal life, he said in chapter, in the, earlier in this prayer we're looking at, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So our union with Christ and fellowship with the triune God in our union with Christ is the same as eternal life. Now, I have, for most of my Christian life, well, maybe not now, I'm getting old, but for a long time, the best thing about eternal life, in my view, was how long it lasted. I really liked being alive, and to think about that going on forever sounded great to me. Now, I think the older you get, the less great that sounds. <laughs> like, if eternal life is just the same as this life, only it lasts forever, uh, that won't be any good. What's the, what's the point of eternal life? It's not how long it lasts, it's who it's with. Yeah, it's our union with Him and our fellowship with God in Christ. That's a nice one, because to know Him. Yeah. And the Hebrew word for know is the same as be one with Oh, that's good. Yeah. She knew him. He knew his wife. Right. And she became yeah. pregnant. Right. Yeah. Eternal that's good. life is to know him, to be one with him. Right. Right. Hey, Doug, can I ask you something that sure. irritates me? Okay. <laughs> now, I want to have, it doesn't irritate me in you, but mm -hmm. in this piece of scripture. Mm. Here is the king of kings, the boss of all things, praying. Yeah. Praying correctly. And he's praying for oneness among us. Yeah. And if I look at the last 2,000 years of his followers, that oneness has been deplorable. They, yeah. They fight. They split off. They argue. They kill one another. The Catholics kill the Protestants. The Protestants fire their, their brothers. <laughs> uh, the track record isn't very good. So... What bothers me is that Jesus, the ultimate prayer warrior, prays for oneness. Father, I pray that they may be one. And it's not happening. Yeah, and so I think we'd have to say, yet, it's not happening. Yet. Uh, although I would also say this, it uh, is happening and has happened, as in it is as real as it can possibly be, and yet uh, we're not that good at living in it. You know what I'm saying? So you, you, this, is, I, this is a great theme in the book of Ephesians, the union of the church and the union of all of God's people in the one body, the one new man. There's a, this is presented in the book of Ephesians as accomplished by the work of the cross already. And in fact, he made us one, and then us as one reconciled us to God. And then, uh, so, but then Paul says, when he gets to chapter four in the book of Ephesians, he says, so then, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And the, the calling here is exactly this. It's our, our unity, our union in Christ, 
are the one new man nature of the church. And so it, I, I want to read this uh, text to you. It's interesting that this is his prayer for us. So it says, we get in the way of what he wants. In a manner of speaking, and yet this is going to happen completely before he's finished. So he says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, this is Paul in Ephesians 4, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And that calling in the book of Ephesians is the calling into the body of Christ, the unity of the church, of the redeemed people, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Now, you read this list, Ernst, and it's like the same, I have the same reaction. Okay, where is it? <laughs> you know? I, I, I reread this thing, that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in yeah. you, that they also may be in us. Maybe we are insufficiently in him. Uh, uh, no doubt. Absolutely. And if we abide in the vine, uh, the, 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 the more we abide in him, the more we abide in unity with each other. So we haven't gotten to the... We haven't gotten to the, the point yet in Ephesians 4. He says this, being diligent. With, so he says, with all humility, this is how we walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Humility and gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve, not create, preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And the bond of peace is that thing purchased by Christ what, that he described in chapter two when he said, he himself is our peace. But how do you do that? There's still people I hate. We, dil we, we diligently, <laughs> you do this with humility. There's still Christians I hate. <laughs> I, yeah. I, <clears throat> no, I, of course, I don't right. hate them. They just irritate me. I understand. <laughs> Which sometimes, which sometimes borders on hate. I don't. I, I got no problem. It is saying, you know, and, and we can't see the whole picture. But God right. looks at the whole picture. We're sitting here in this one little minute, looking at this one thing. When mm -hmm. He's looking at the whole thing and saying, "This is the way it is." Right. I, well, thank you. I think you're. <laughs> I think you're. Your opening insight about in our union with Him is the correct path if the question is how I, I find that uh, in order to live in unity with you I have to do that from my unity with him yeah. I have to be uh, I have to be abiding in the vine now these are things he manages of course but the if we want to say how do we Operate according to this instruction from Paul or according to this request of Christ, sanctify them in the truth that they may be one. Uh, well, how will, we, how will we grow in this? Um, that's a good one, how? Huh? Yeah. I am married to a Christian woman uh -huh. who is a good woman. 
And sometimes I think, is there another bedroom? What? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. How'd I get myself into this? <laughs> so here are two people dedicated to the side of right. Right. Two people Christian. Two yeah. people that use all the methods. We read the Bible. We pray. We sing. We. And yeah. yet, if you don't give me the right food at the right time and don't cuddle me enough and and insult me then I am not nice. Yeah. And the so-called fruit of the Spirit, I don't observe in me 24-7. No. Well, so what we're talking I'm about is our... for you to our, tell me how to do that. <laughs> obey. In this particular case, obey Ephesians chapter 1. Apparently you haven't been doing that. I've, chapter 5, I mean, apparently you haven't been doing that. <laughs> but I, then the question for that is, well, how, how that... How, do, how husband love your wife as Christ loved the church. Uh, nobody in this room has ever remotely approached that standard. But that's your calling. So little by little. And we live in this, in this period between the ascension and the resurrection in which we are saints and sinners, when, in which we, these things are real and not realized. And so we, a good part in my mind of how is something like, well, remember who you are. Remember your union with Christ. Remember the reality of your redemption, the quality of the love with which God has loved you. I think I see it now. You refer to Ephesians 5. Yeah. There is one imperative in Ephesians 5, right. and that is be filled with the Spirit, which uh -huh. means right. be one with me. Right. <laughs> and That's then, good. If you're filled with the Spirit, you will not be filled with the desires of the flesh. You will be thanksgiving, you will be praising, you will be submitting yourselves one to another, and so on. Right. I mean, sometimes when you want to go in the other bedroom, what's good to do, in my opinion, I've been married 50 years. We're still, I'm still vertical. I'm not in the grass yet. And it isn't perfect. But if you read 1 Corinthians 13, and don't use the word charity, put your name, put your name in there and breathe your name against what you're supposed to do. And you just read that against your name. And if that doesn't humble you in terms of uh, and, and so the word to how to me is a couple words. One would be forgiveness. The second would be surrender. Because it's my pride. It's my when I get insulted. It's my pride. Of course it is. And it's my pride when I'm not served the way I think I should be served or whatever. So I'm in the way. Uh, so it's it's me, oh Lord, who's standing in the prayer. Not the preacher. Not the teacher. But it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. Well, I, I think the, I think, yeah, I think if you, if you start from the demand for obedience, you will, you will wreck yourself on those rocks. That's, so I think you, if, if we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, we need to start at the beginning. Not the part that tells you how love ought to behave, 
but the part that tells you that you need it. The part that says, if you're this, this, and this without love, if you don't have love, that's not talking just about whether you have love for the people around you. It's talking about whether you have the love of God. And so in my approach to this, it all begins with the vine. It all goes back to my uh, fellowship with God in Christ and how that then can. Now, then I need the instructions. So, you know, I'm not going without them. But the, the power and the motivation is in what I have, have received from him. Can I share with you what has worked for me? Because like you, I'm also a half century with the same woman. <laughs> I still call her my first wife because you never know. But I know it sounds funny, but I will tell you what works for me. And it may not work for you. There is one part in this piece of scripture where it says, keep them from the evil one. Mm -hmm. And I pray the Lord's Prayer. And I pay a lot of attention to the last one, the protection. Mm -hmm. Deliver us from the evil one. And you are a great scholar. You know that that is a masculine term and not a neuter term. So I literally tell demonic spirits that are out to destroy, steal, and kill to leave. And my experience is that that works. I have a lot of doubts in my faith life, but this one I still find working when I, I will use words that works for me. In the name of Jesus, I sent away any spirit that seeks to destroy my relationship or whatever I discern is, is the hassle at that time. And my experience is that that works. Because you, you uh, took the book of Ephesians as a reference. There's an interesting text in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 that if we are in Christ, we are seated with him mm -hmm. on the throne in a position of authority. And whatever I say in his name happens. Mm -hmm. And I am, I am with you. I am also an already not yet theologian. <laughs> George Elman Ladd is the guy, right? Uh, 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 I am experiencing that it is already happening when I speak it out. And I'm not a follower of Kenneth Copeland or the other idiots that say speak it out and it'll happen. But when I pray out loud and use my position of authority in Christ, stuff happens. And I am then less irritated and less angry. And while I'm on the way to kill him, I walk back. Good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> it, it, it works for me. It may not work for others. And when, I, when I'm really, really depressed or miserable, I, I pray the Lord's Prayer. I've always had problems with people that do ritualistic prayer. But when you are no longer motivated by the spirit, 
then I still know the five P's. Sorry, this could make a good sermon. Praise, purpose, the kingdom of God, provision, give me the stuff, forgive, pardon, forgive, and then protection, deliver me from the evil one. Because I think while we're in this period in between, mm -hmm. the enemy forces are still walking around quite a bit. Uh, and that reminds me, the period in between, I am not, I wasn't born in the Second World War, but I remember that when the nation of the Netherlands was set free by the Allied forces on May 5th, there were still a whole pile of Nazis walking around in the country. It took a little while for them all to be eliminated. And while when Jesus was here, he, that is May 5th, he defeated the enemy forces. But to get rid of them all, that happens when he comes back. And in the meantime, we still run into enemy forces that shoot at us, even though they have lost. Mm -hmm. So I make sure I take their gun. At least never. At least temporary. <laughs> no, because they, they rearm the stupid demons. <laughs> and, and you use the word obedience. Anytime I disobey, they rearm. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's my, my little input. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, we, it's time to wrap this up. Um, <coughs> The, uh, uh, so Jesus prays that the Father would sanctify them in the truth for the purpose to be sent into the world as the Father sent the Son. And then we have this list of the service of the Son sent by the Father from the book of John. Uh, and so our union with Christ invests these kinds of purposes or these purposes specifically uh, in our sanctification. Uh, what, what is the Father setting us apart to use us for? Uh, so uh, I'm, uh, you, can, you can see the list. The summary is the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. The announcement of reconciliation with God in Jesus Christ. Uh, now he says uh, that, that leads us to this question what makes it possible for the disciples to be sanctified well he says uh, for their sakes I sanctify myself now this is this change in chapter 10 Christ was sanctified and sent by the father here he sanctifies himself. He sets himself apart. And this is a present tense verb. I sanctify myself. Like he's declaring himself. That they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. So apparently our sanctification, our being set apart for God, depends on his and so I think we have here again uh, the idea of the cross, that 
Jesus is setting himself apart. This is the, the, we're now within hours of his arrest. And so he is saying, I set myself apart for this to make our sanctification possible. So Jesus acts as priest and sacrifice for us. Now, the last thing to observe here is who's he, at, who's he praying for? So he says, I don't ask on behalf of these alone, these men sitting here in this room with him while he's praying this, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's you. That's us. So this prayer, Jesus prays that we would be set apart, that we would be united to him, that in that union with him, we are sent. If you ask the question, why does he save us and leave us here in this hostile place? Right in this prayer, he said, don't take them out of the world, keep them safe in the world. Uh, and for the purpose, all these purposes, the the revelation of God in the person of Jesus. So we now participate in that mission, that sentness that he came to uh, provide. So even to this day, we are called to be set apart, to be the body, the one new man in Christ. For what purpose? for the revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ, for the announcement of the good news of our reconciliation to God in the person of Jesus Christ, to be his image bearers uh, is another way to say this, to be the body of Christ. Well, what's a body? A body is the presence of the person. So if we ask, how is the person of Christ to be present in the world today? The answer is us. Not me and you and you and you, us. Well, me and you and you and you, if we're the only one there. But in general, us. A person is not represented by a single part of his body, but by the union of his body. So it's kind of important that we... Uh, follow the instruction that we read in Ephesians 4. Diligent to preserve the, how'd that go? Unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, so, and the question of how is the question of how. It's a big question. It's Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. It's abide in me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will. Because you're going to be asking for the right things. <laughs> what you will is what he wills in that case. So uh, uh, another place you can see a, a different sort of angle on this exact same thing, I think, is Romans 12. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, set apart, 
pleasing to God. That sacrifice is pleasing to God when you say, I'm yours. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the same concept. Transformed by the renewing of your mind is the process of abiding in the vine. These are all different ways of talking about pretty much the same thing. As we walk in the fellowship with God that Christ purchased, we begin to grow in our reflection of that love in our other relationships. Okay. <laughs> I think we'll, I got, we got to stop. We're almost up to an hour here. So <laughs> we got to stop. Very All right. deep, very deep. Okay. <laughs> the, the, the bottom line here is uh, the Lord's response to this prayer is the Lord staking his claim on us. May we belong to him. We are his. We are his. Uh, and that entails a lot of different things, but that's the bottom line. Sanctify them in the truth. I belong to Christ. I belong to God. Right here in this text, Jesus says, they're yours, you gave them to me. What belongs to me is yours, and what is yours is mine. All of this is about the development of this fellowship in which we are called. Let me pray. Father, thanks for this chance to be together, to experience a little bit of this fellowship that... Uh, you have called us to, Lord, help us, we pray. We pray that you would hold us safe, keep us from the evil one, that you would sanctify us. Lord, help us to be aware, to live in the consciousness of this fellowship, this presence that we have with you, to stand in before the throne of grace, the most precious gift you've given us, Father, is this fellowship with you. Lord, I pray that we would experience that transforming power of that relationship, that we would be filled with the Spirit and begin to exhibit your love Lord, help us to pay attention to your word, not just as in the scriptures, but in the person of Christ. But to take your commandments as the commandments of the one who loves us and gave himself for us. To walk in that love and so in obedience. Lord, we, we thank you for these realities and we ask that they would be more and more realized in our life together and in the body of Christ and before the world around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.